0: One and so there's a lot more I could tell you, but it's exciting to know what the Lord is doing. And so thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Acts chapter number one. I have to watch what I do. Brother Delello starts talking to me, and here he said, I, "You remember me?" And have fun when people say that because I have to remember where I've been in this world. Amen. And then he started giving me hints. And when you're at my age, brother, I don't have all timers. I got part timers. Amen. And. <laughs> And, uh, and so I'm not too sure, but it's amazing where that was at and that whole process and how many years ago that's been. And he said, you were a lot younger then. I said, no kidding. Amen. (laughs) A lot younger and a lot less mileage on this body. Amen. And, but uh, it's good to see you again, brother, and realize what the connection was. Acts chapter one, I've been stuck in the book of Acts this year. Every year I ask God to help me study through a book, preach through a book and last year was Proverbs. I preached on missions all through the book of Proverbs this year. And, and, and I almost hesitated because God began to work in my life. And it was the book of Acts. And I'm thinking, everybody goes to the book of Acts. When you start talking about missions, everybody wants to go to the book of Acts. But I'm telling you, folks, God has just used these last months in my life to just give me uh, assurance that we know what we're doing in missions. Can, can I say this to you? The book of Acts is, it is not just the mission manual about what to do and how to do it it is the historical account of what god actually did through that early church and what challenges me when we think about that is you say well preacher what can we do today we can do the same impossible magnificent things that the early church did in the book of acts because the same god that did it then is the same god we serve today amen And sometimes we act like God is incapable of doing what he used to do, but God's still able. Amen. Amen. And so we need to get back to trusting God through that all. And so you come to Acts chapter one, and let's give you a couple things to introduce this thought. He says in verse one, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles, Whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so now Luke introduces us to the fact that he wrote the book of Acts. Because you go back to Luke chapter number one and he talks about the other treatise, the former treatise that he wrote under Theophilus. And so Luke is recording for us and giving to us the historical accounts of the things that went on in the book of Acts. And so we understand that. And then he begins to introduce us to what I have come to find in my life, the foundational truths that missions is built upon. And he begins to introduce these thoughts to us as you lead into Acts chapter number two. And folks, listen to me today. The church of God is still the same. Amen. We, we, we again, I'm going to say it again, we sometimes think that in these days and times uh, that God can't do what he used to do. When we read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning, when he said in, in, in the great trial of their affliction, in deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, that those people in Corinth that were involved in the work of God, it wasn't an easy time to be doing it. Amen. They were being persecuted for what they believed and what they stood for. They were living in a time of great poverty and dearth in the land, yet they still did what God told them to do. Amen. And accomplished great things. So what makes you think in this day and age that God's incapable? Well, hmm? think about that. And so he comes down to this and he starts with this in verse number 3. And he says this, to whom he also showed himself alive, underline this phrase, after his passion. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we have to understand that we need the passion that Jesus had. We need to be driven by the same passion, the same desire, the same exciting, driving burden. I mean, take your Bibles, go to, Acts, or to Luke chapter 24. Luke recorded this in the book of Luke and describing that to us. And, and listen, isn't it amazing? The world has passions about many things. Amen. I mean, I, I listen, uh, a, a few months ago in the middle of football season, you know, uh, if it was Saturday afternoon, you'd you see people running all over the country here in Ohio with scarlet and gray. Right. Amen. Now, listen, if you live in Ohio, it's not scarlet and gray. Amen. It's blue and gold. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Don't get mad at me. Amen. Hey, hey listen. And in amazing on a Saturday afternoon, 100,000 people in a football stadium in Columbus and people with their faces painted half gray and the other half scarlet. And they're jumping up down and screaming and yelling. We said, look at those wonderful people. They're passionate about what they believe. Yeah, they are. So why aren't we as passionate about Christ? Yeah. Huh? I, I was a friend of mine. His dad is a very, uh, I guess, a very influential uh, supporter. Uh, I have to watch how I say this of Michigan sports. Amen. <laughs> and he was telling me uh, a few years ago when the Michigan was getting ready to play Ohio State, he said, "Preacher, when that game is in in Ann Arbor, Michigan, he said 110,000 people in that stadium. He said the average ticket price is $500. Now think about that." How many millions of dollars in one day is invested for people to fulfill their passion? Why aren't we that passionate about Christ? You get to Luke chapter 24, and and, and Luke reveals this to us. It says in verse 46 And and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Why did Jesus Christ come? It said, Why? why, It behooved him. It drove him. He had a passion to do what? He would complete the sacrifice, give his life for the the ransom of the world, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Not just some, but all nations. That's the passion. You go to the book of Hebrews, and it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Amen. Amen. What, hey, think about what Jesus went through on that cross and, 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 and the, the public shame, not letter, let alone the, the physical agony that he went through, but what drove him through that. He saw down the road the joy that would come in the lives of people that would come to Jesus Christ, give their life to Jesus Christ, and their lives be changed, and that passion drove him. What drives you? What drives you? Huh? I, I'm, there's a couple of things I'm pretty passionate about. One of them is deer hunting. Amen. And I'm evident we have a lot of hunters in here because they didn't say amen. But, you know, some days I think about that. I, not if, if, if This time of year, I would not get up at four o'clock in the morning and walk down into the dark woods, climb up in the side of a tree and sit there. Not enough, No, because there's nothing to be accomplished at this time. Amen. But now starting the last Saturday of September through the last day of December I can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, grab my crossbow walk down 250 yards behind my house, climb up in my tree stand and sit there and watch and begin to listen because there's going to be something about ready to happen, amen and it's happened twice this year I sat there and watched as they came in and the deer began to come in hey listen, I'm passionate about it, I've got a deer stand I've got a feeder, I put corn in that feeder i got a trail cam now that's hooked up to my cell phone so that I can see pictures of them when I'm not even there. Amen. Say, so why do you do that? You ever think about it? It's, it's zero degrees out there. You put on all these clothes, set in that thing, put stuff on your body to mask your sin. Why do you do all that? I'm passionate about something. I want to shoot that deer. Amen. I said that one day and the lady said, you shot Bambi? I said, no, I shot Bambi's dad and we ate him. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No. What are you passionate about? I read this uh, story one day and I loved it. It said an American businessman traveled to Europe to see the famous Passion Play. Following the performance, the businessman had the opportunity to meet and talk with Anton Lang, the man who portrayed Christ in the play. Seeing the cross that was used in the play, this businessman wanted his wife to take his picture holding it. He walked over and attempted to lift the cross to his shoulder. And to his surprise, he could barely budge it from the floor. He said to Mr. Lang, he said, I don't understand. I figured the cross would be hollow. Why do you carry such a heavy cross? Mr. Lang explained to the businessman why people are drawn to this play. He said, if you do not feel the weight of the cross, you cannot play the part. And folks, missions this month is about this. It's about us bearing the weight of the cross, the passion of Jesus Christ. So missions is based upon that passion. Can you think about it today? What takes a young couple that has all the security, so to speak, and all the comforts of America And would drive them to leave this country, spend two to three years dragging their family across this country to raise support, to go to some village in the middle of nowhere in Africa and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what drives them. It's the passion of Jesus Christ. I remember those years with the Rock of Ages prison ministry, and we'd go overseas, and we went to Romania, and i tell you what, folks, people that go to prison around here are going to a hotel room compared to the places we saw. We went into Romania, and they took us in these dark cell blocks, and you would have rooms that were 10 by 10, and they would be... 15 to 16 people in that room, 10 by 10, with one little light bulb hanging down in the middle of the room. And I remember preaching there one day, and a man came to get saved, and he had committed murder and killed a man, and he had two tattoos of his of the devil on each side of his forehead. And he got saved, gave his life to Christ. And next time I was back there and preached, he came over and he said, "Hey, how you doing? How you doing?" I said, "I'm doing great." I looked up, I said, "What happened, brother? The tattoos are gone." He said, "Preacher, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. It changed." He said, "Every day." I would go to wash my face. All I saw was the devil. He said, I got a rock out of the side of that cell and rubbed the devil out of my life. I went, praise the Lord. Hello? God changed his life. I tell you, back in those days, what drove me, honey, to leave you and those three precious kids going to places that you just like, wow, why am I here? That right there. That people need the Lord. Go back to Acts chapter 1. The passion of Christ was the thing that we build our life and missions upon. Now, read a little farther and you know what's coming. Amen. When you go through Acts chapter 1, it's the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you get down through Acts chapter 1 and verse number uh, 5. He said, John truly baptized with water, water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And you get to verse number eight and it says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so now Jesus is saying to him, here's my passion. And he said, I'm getting ready to empower you with the Holy Ghost of God. I'm going to give you the power to accomplish the passion. See, the power is not, as some people in this world, the Holy Ghost does not come, as some people in this world would say, so you can speak in some tongue or you can, you can zap somebody in the head and heal them. That's not what the power of the Holy Spirit of God came into this world to accomplish. It came into this world to accomplish the passion of Jesus Christ to enable us to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what we've been empowered for, amen. Hey, listen, I'm, I love the security of the power of the Holy Ghost. It tells me I'm saved. Amen. May the 20th, 1972, 51 years ago, I got saved. And the Holy Ghost of God came in in my life. And it said to me, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Amen. I like that, but that's not what it's for. That's not what it's to be used for. It's to be used in our lives to accomplish the passion of Jesus Christ. So how are you doing? How are you doing with it? You think about later what he says and, and take just a couple verses. Look in chapter 2. In chapter 2, what happens? The Holy Ghost comes. Chapter 2, in verse number 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you stopped right there, you say, okay, if I get the Holy Ghost, I'm going to speak in some unknown language. No, because when you read that, it says, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of, out of every nation under heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when that, that was noised abroad, the multitude came and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And I'd like to have been a day of Pentecost. Yeah. Amen. I would have messed up a bunch of people. Amen. <laughs> I mean, here's here's Peter preaching, and you got people from every nation under heaven, he said, in their own language, and Peter's preaching it in this language, and they're hearing it in their language. But you know what I see? I see all the time that same spirit working. You take, I, I laugh and tell people, you take a hillbilly from West Virginia, and you take him to the other side of the world, and God can teach him. Some he, in language he's never experienced in his life. And he can become proficient in that to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Huh? It might be with a hillbilly accent, amen. But he still speaking. See, that's the power. These people all heard and received. And we know at least 3,000 people got saved that day because of the working of the Holy Spirit in the, the servant of God. And in their life. So the power comes, folks. Look a little farther at chapter 3, verse 12. Look at what he says. You know what happens in chapter 3? Uh, That lame man gets healed. And in chapter 3, they say in verse number 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? And why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Peter said, "You're You're looking at us like we did this? He said, don't you understand who did this? The power of God. I remember all those years ago, I was pastoring in West Virginia, and the lady's coming to our church, and she said, Preacher, my dad's in the hospital. Will you come and see him? And he said, he's not, she said, he's not saved. Will you come? And so I went up there and talked to him, and he explains to me that they're getting ready to operate at him the next day. And that he has a tumor in his stomach that said the size of a softball. And he said, preacher, I just don't know. And I said, well, here's the question you've got to answer. And I talked to him about the Lord and the man got saved. So he gets done being saved and he looks at me, he said, now, preacher, you think God could do something about that tumor? I said, "Well, we could ask him. Amen. But I said, you didn't ask Jesus to get saved, did you? So you could get something done. And he said, no, 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 I, I needed to get saved. I said, OK. So we prayed that night. I went back the next morning before surgery. Prayed with him. I told the lady. I said, "Look, I got some things to do." I said, "Let me know how the surgery comes out. I'm, I'm going to buy some things I need to do." And the phone rang. She said, "Preacher, you got to come back to the hospital." I said, "What?" She said, "You got to come here." And she didn't tell me why. I thought, "Oh man, something's wrong." So I run back to the hospital. I walked in the room. The doctor's standing there. He said, "I don't understand this. Here's the X-ray before the surgery. Here's that tumor." When we made the incision, went in there, there is no tumor. Where did it go? I said, would you like for me to explain it to you? Now, see, God, God did that, amen. God did that by his power, not by our power, amen. Hey, listen, I've watched as God has changed the lives of people all over this world by his power. See, passion to serve the Lord is now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, amen. But now go back to Acts chapter one, because I'm going to one place. Go back to Acts chapter one. There's other verses we could read in chapter six, different places. But go back to Acts chapter one. So the passion now has the power. Now look as this progresses. So you get to through chapter number one and you go down to verse number nine. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him, by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now. Can I tell you that some, when I read that, sometimes I look at that and they said, why, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up? Why would you not be gazing up into heaven right there? I mean, you just watched Jesus Christ ascend up through those clouds. I'd still be standing there going, where'd he go? Amen. But that's, I, that's not the meaning of that question. What I believe that they were saying is, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? There's things to be done. And they said, here's the promise. Just like he went, he's coming back. And you know what? It could be tomorrow. we people all the time say preacher what do you think what do you think i think we're closer than we've ever been in our life amen I mean, you see some of the things, uh, uh, when when a banker says to us one day, they said, look, you're gonna to have to get people that donate money to the mission to understand how to get that money to you electronically because we're headed to a time, and this man told us four years, or two years ago now almost, he said within four years, we will be in a checklist society in America, and within the year after that, we will be in a cashless society in our country. He said, that's what I believe the projection is, and when he said that to us, I'm like, yes, Lord, you're coming. Yes, Lord, you're coming. I understand the task we've got to get people to understand how to do this electronic transfer of money and everything else. But what he's saying to us is we're headed there. Amen. Right. Hey, listen, do you realize that because of this conflict in the Ukraine, there's been a great push to have an electronic currency in America? Hello? There's legislation in our in, in our government in Washington, D.C. right now to introduce an electronic currency in America. Crypto, Bitcoin, whatever they want to call it. Huh? You say, preacher, what are you trying to say? That's pushing us right to the one world government. Amen. Because you think about it. If you've got an electronic currency, who controls it now? Not your local bank. The government. When you look at what's going on in our world, folks, there's wars and rumors of wars, just like the Bible says. The Bible says they were marrying and giving in marriage. It's, it's, It's all setting up. Do you believe that? Then why aren't we doing more? The thought of Jesus Christ coming back, and it could be tomorrow, should set the priority of everything we do. Amen? Listen, we understand the passion. We understand the power. Now we need to prioritize in our life the, what we're going to accomplish through the power with our passion to get people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. The most dreaded words. I grew up in a different world, okay? When I was your, some of you young people's age, when I grew up at home, we did not have time out. Amen. I bet you didn't either, Jeremy. Amen. (laughs) We didn't have time out at our house. We had to go to your room, and I will be there in a minute. Amen. And my dad would give you two or three minutes when you got to your room to realize what was about to happen and why you caused it to happen. But we would do things. I had two brothers at home. My mom, bless her heart, grew up with three boys. She didn't have any girls. And that's why she loved my wife more than she ever did love me. Amen. Because she always wanted a daughter. And so we would do things before dad got home. And, um, and you know, my oldest brother's 6'5", and uh, was all-state tackle on the football team, you know. And so don't ask me what happened. I don't know. Amen. <laughs> but mom would just look at us and said, okay, wait till your dad gets home. We'd be playing in the yard or doing something, and we'd hear dad drive up the driveway. And I'm tell you what. We headed to the house. Why? Because we're about to get it. Man, do you not realize Jesus could come back in the morning? And in the morning, you're going to give an account as the song was sung this morning. I'll give an account. The Bible clearly tells us, amen, in the book of Romans, that we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what? For our life. I'm not going to give an account for my sin. My sin's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. If I'm going to give an account for my sin, then I'm going to stand at the great white throne judgment. But I'm not giving an account for my sin. Praise God. It's under the blood. It's paid. It's done. It's over with. Amen. But I'm going to give an account for my life and the works that I have done. If you were to give an account for your life tomorrow, what do you wish That's my hillbilly accent. Amen. (laughs) Wish you had done. So the passion is given the power. And we set the priority. Now go to Acts chapter two and I'm done. So what happens at the end of Acts chapter two? We see this all happen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't you like to have been in that church? Amen. I mean, you, you, you follow this. Acts 3 is, is 3,000. Acts 5, there's 5,000. Or is it chapter 4? And then you get to the next chapter and it says in multitudes. I would like to live through one of those, wouldn't you, brother? Multitudes. You finally get down to the verse, and he said, many of the priests believed. Wouldn't you like to have been in that when the priests in town are coming to get saved, amen? So you see it happening. Their passion is now empowered, and they're getting it done. Every day, they weren't, they weren't doing other things. Every day, the Bible says, they were in the temple and house to house, eating their bread with gladness and fellowship and proclaiming the word of God. So what happens in the midst of all this in verse number uh, 42? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So now this passion That has been driven by the power and the priority of Christ is being provided for. The provision comes to accomplish this. Acts chapter 4 says the same thing. They sold their possessions. And brought him and laid him at the apostles' feet. He said, what did they do with it? They gave it to Peter so he could go preach. They gave it to John so he could go preach. They gave it to Mark so he could go preach. They were providing for the work. You get, you get through this whole book. It's, and, but the key phrase in that is found. He said, and they had all things common. What does he say at that point? I'm trying not to come down off this, but just follow me. Amen, brother. What that means is that not just the preacher had that passion, that everybody had the same common goal, the same common desire, the same common driven thinking. For this church to accomplish all that God wants it to do, it can't be just driven by the passion of the pastor or the youth director. You have to have the same passion. You have to have the same passion. All things common. Hello? And when you have all things common, then you'll provide for that to be done. Well, that's gotta happen. That's got that's what's gotta be done. We've got to get the gospel. So I need to give more. I need to pray more. I need to do more. And God is so serious about this, folks. Do you realize in Acts chapter 4 they did the same thing? And you get to the end of Acts chapter 4, and it said Barnabas went and sold a possession and gave the money. And then you get to Acts chapter 5, and what happens? Anarnaus and Sapphira said, You know what? I'm not as I don't have as much passion as they have. So I'm going to keep some of that money for us. And God said, no, you're not. You may keep it, but you're not going to get to use it. Boom, you're dead. (laughs) I have a weird mind, Okay. I sometimes wish that God would go back to that. Amen. Amen. You say, why? Because some of you are going to fill out a faith promise card, or maybe you filled out a faith promise card in your life and never gave it all. And sometimes I wish God would say, did you give it all? Yes, I gave it all. No, you liar. Boom. (laughs) See, God's pretty serious about this, amen. I'll never forget going to a hospital room years ago and a guy looked at me and said, hey, preacher, how you doing? I said, fine, how are you? He said, good. God's taking out his tithe. God's pretty serious about this provision. Why? Like I said this morning, because if we don't provide for this passion to be fulfilled, there's people that will never get the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God's pretty serious about it. So you see the passion, the power, the priority, the provision. And all of the book of Acts is built on those foundations. You think about Peter. Or not Peter, Philip. God comes to Philip and he's in the midst of an explosion that's going on. People getting the gospel and he said... Hey, Peter or Philip, leave that and go down to the desert. Why? There's one Ethiopian eunuch you're going to meet in the desert. If I'd have been Philip at that point, why do you want me to leave here? This thing's crazy. Thousands of people being saved. Lives are being changed. And you want me to go where? To the desert. But Peter or Philip goes to the desert, meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He gets saved. He baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And I've studied and read many books and commentaries. And most people believe that when they finally got to Ethiopia with the expansion of the gospel, there was already believers in Ethiopia. Where did they come from? Philip led one man to the Lord and he took it home. Do we understand the importance, the sincerity of what we're doing? So my question is, what is your passion? God's going to give you the power to fulfill that passion but we've got to set the right priority that that passion for souls, that passion for Christ has got to be the first thing. And all that then will gauge what we do to provide for the cause of Christ. I don't think people in Acts chapter 2 are going around the church going, well, the preacher asked for another offering. What does he want me to do, sell my house? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Aren't you glad God didn't ask you to do that today? Now, there's people I know have sold possessions and gave it to the cause of Christ. But God said, just give what you have. Hmm? I'll give you this illustration. I'm done. I was in a church preaching several years ago. and The preacher came to me and he hands me this faith promise card. (laughs) I said, he said, that's my mother-in-law faith promise. He said, I know her writing. I know that it's hers. He said, that is half of her monthly income. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, you got to go talk to her. I said, you're the pastor. You talk to her. Amen. He said, you preached, and she got into it. I said, no, no, no. If she got into it, it's because of God. Amen. And he said, go talk to her. I went over and I'll never forget it. Sweetest lady you ever want to be around in your life. She looked at me and she goes, I said, preacher wants me to talk to you about this. She looked at me, Brother Jacobs, and said, are you a preacher or are you a liar? I said, why? She said, said, you told me the Bible says if I ask God what he wants me to do, and if I do it, he'll take care of it. I said, yes. She said, that's what he told me to do. I said, okay, ma'am, bless your heart. I went back over to the pastor and said, live with it, bud, amen. (laughs) Three weeks later, that dear lady called me on the phone. She said, preacher. I said, what? She said, I got my unbelieving pastor with me. <laughs> this lady's husband had passed away several years before that. I don't know, just a few. but And she really didn't have any idea what he had done to prepare. And she had just got a letter in the mail from a company that he had bought stock in. And the letter explained... That they had had a very good year. And so they were issuing stock dividends. And they had gave her more stock. And a dividend check. And guess how much it was for? Exactly half of her income for the next year. Ain't God good, Amen. What a saint of God. She's in heaven today. I tell you what, every time I'd go by there and see her, she says, how's the missionaries doing, preacher? How's our investment doing, preacher? How's it going? See, God will provide, folks. Amen? What a blessing. That lady has been to the cause of Christ. He said, preacher, what are you trying to say? You do what God tells you to do. Driven by that passion. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Prioritized by the coming of Jesus Christ. Would you want Christ to come back tonight and you have a million dollars in the bank? And do the provision that God tells you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. I pray you'd speak to your people these weeks as they prepare to do what you tell them to do. Lord, speak to our lives tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. You'd say, Preacher, I'd have to say my passion has not been what it ought to be for the cause of Christ. Would you pray for me tonight? You lift your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. God bless your heart. My passion's not being... See, we want the power. We want the provision in our lives, but we don't want to do what we're supposed to do with the passion of Christ. He will empower you. He will provide. Folks will begin to come to the altar. If you need to come, why don't you make your way and say, Lord... Set my passion where it ought to be to do what you want me to do for the cause of Christ. As the piano plays, the altars open God spoke to your heart. Why not come down and just take a moment to pray? Say, God, help my passion to be stronger. Maybe it's something else that God has touched your heart about. Whatever the need, the altar's open.